That's a summary of the gospel. Uh, it's our experience that he's asked us to share with others how he loves us. Christianity and the church get recognized in all kinds of ways. You want a summary that's accurate? Oh, how he loves us. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, we're in this portion in John where Jesus is with the disciples that dinner before he's to be crucified. And he's trying to prepare them. They don't fully get that message yet. They're not going to get it till he rises from the dead. But before that, he's trying to prepare them as the folks that are going to go out and share this message that God loves us. Started by washing the disciples' feet. It says a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. He's about to demonstrate that most fully the next day. Love one another as I have loved you. If you get anything right, oh, how he loves us. Do we see why loving one another is so important when the big idea is, oh, how he loves us? Judas goes. Jesus says he's going to be betrayed. Judas goes. I am the way, the truth, and life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me, but the Holy Spirit's going to come help you. Then last week, Keith did a really nice job dealing with the vine and the branches. Now, always, part of our hope as we work through the biblical text is to see things in their historical and literary context because to understand any text, we need to what, understand what was said before because it has implications for what's being said now. I'll tell you, as we look at the text today, absolutely essential that we get 15, 1 to 17. We're going to pick it up in verse 17 and go through chapter 16, verse 15. So we got a big text again this morning, but, but we got to get last week's text. Keith appropriately said it's, it's a summary of the gospel, and, and it starts with this experience of Jesus' love. Now, you guys know I have a passion for this. I grew up and I went to church assuming because I had an experience of church that I had an experience of Jesus' love, and I didn't. It starts with this. <laughs> Not just saying those words and going to Sunday school. He loves me. I've messed up my life. I'm hurting. I got problems. I don't know how to solve them. I can't find real significance, and I got this hole in my heart. Ultimately, because I'm separated from God. The whole thing starts with this. He loves me. And he changes my life. He transforms it. He doesn't solve all the problems out there, but he loves me. And that leads to our expressing Jesus' love. And that was what the text was about last week. It's what the Bible's about. If you have an experience of God's love, you're going to express it. You cannot separate the true, the two. Keith did a nice job. Uh, 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 abide in Jesus. Uh, now, I'm going to tell you, last week, I've laughed as hard as I ever have at church. And if you were here and heard that sermon, otherwise go back and watch the first five minutes. If you want a great laugh, what it means to it, the difference between abide in Jesus and abide in in Jesus. Next week, just go look. But, but this is what Jesus is trying to make clear. Because I'm going to tell you, we as evangelicals, I think we've diminished the importance of expressing love. My theory is that it comes, it comes about as an overreaction to Roman Catholics and what they did. Martin Luther, the Reformation. 
I grew up believing I had experienced Jesus' love because I'd asked him into my heart even though there was no expression. Roman Catholics, we've talked about him. Our friends, that this is where the difference. How does experiencing Jesus' love differ from his expression? How are they related? And it's the primary source of disagreement between us theologically and our Roman Catholic friends. We believe we experience Jesus' love through faith and through faith alone, and somebody better say amen. amen. But the scriptural teaching that brought me to faith is inevitably that gets expressed. And if it doesn't get expressed, it's because it wasn't experienced. That truth brought me to faith. Roman Catholics, they want to take the experience Jesus' love through faith and then some of the expression as a basis for being justified. Martin Luther in the Reformation. Got to keep the sacraments in order to keep being saved. I got a good Roman Catholic friend that is a brilliant Roman Catholic theologian. And he said to me some time ago, we were having lunch, he goes, yeah, but you, evangelicals, you just deny expression. And I think he was shocked when I said, yeah, you're right. We miss it. Now, where I think you guys miss it is making that a means of being justified. But we've so emphasized faith, faith, and faith alone that we've denied the expression. And what Jesus is saying last week, and Keith did a great job, you experience Jesus' love and then you keep on experiencing it. And then you express Jesus' love and you keep on expressing it. And when you do that, there is fruit. And three times in the text last week, go back and look at it. If there's not fruit, it's not going to be good. In several other places, Jesus says, you know a tree by its fruit. But this, this is life right here. And if we're experiencing Jesus' love, and welcome to you guys online, nice to have you with us. You're experiencing Jesus' love and expressing Jesus' love, and then there's fruit. Guess, can anybody guess what Jesus says in motion? I'm not making this stuff up. Does everybody want to guess what emotion Jesus says we're going to experience? Uh-uh. This is the Christian life. And Keith was right. This is the foundation of the Christian life. This is the summary of the Christian life. These things I've spoken to you that my joy, the joy of Jesus would be in us. Now, let me tell you, when you're God, you're stinking happy. I tell you this so that my joy be in you and your joy may be half full. Ah, this is the gospel. How did he demonstrate it? We're going to celebrate it a little later in countless ways. Ultimately by dying. Guys, this is the Christian life. This is the foundation of what we believe. This is the foundation of what we live. Because there is nothing else that makes sense and there is nothing else that is better. Are you ready for the big idea for this morning? We got to see it flowing out of what he's just told us about the vine and the branches. Experience Jesus' love, keep experiencing it. Express Jesus' love and keep expressing it. And there will be fruit from your life and you are going to be happy. Then this week, he tells us this. Though we find our greatest, fullest joy in experiencing and expressing Jesus' love, he didn't want us to be surprised. This is Jesus preparing the disciples and us to experience his love, to express his love, to bear fruit and be really happy. <sighs> I want you to be prepared. It's not going to be easy. Lord, I pray as we look at your words today that you'll speak to our minds and hearts about the truth again of who you are and who we are in you. Oh, you love us. You love us. You love us. But we're in a broken, broken world that has values that don't correspond, it feels like, sometimes at all to yours. And yet you've put us here to be the instruments of your grace, to be those through whom your love is spread. 
That's what you've called us to, Father. So I pray as we look at your words here today, expressed by your Son, that you will leave us here moving boldly and courageously, fearlessly and graciously and lovingly to promote your love like Jesus would. That's our prayer. Because he's trusted this glorious truth to us. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So I do this so that your joy may be full. Now expect the world to hate you as you bring them this news. But it's so good. It makes so much sense. There's nothing that makes more sense. Oh, he loves us. Now when you share this truth with the world, they're going to hate you. And he's going to pull apart for us. Why? Why are we going to expect the world to hate us? Because they hated Jesus. These things I command you so that you will love one another is rooted. Folks, if you miss everything from me today except one thing, please don't miss this. It's founded in love. How we live is grounded in our being loved by him. That's what fills us and moves us to express it. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. I'm God Almighty, come to the world in love, and they hated me. Do you really expect that they would treat you any different? That would be naive. That, quite frankly, would be foolish. Because we no longer share the values of the world. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Because you would think like them and you would have values like them. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You've had an experience with me where you realize the depth and magnitude of your own sin, the consequences, you realize that I love you, and the only way to have life and joy and meaning is by following me. Now, I think this is particularly what we're talking about today, hard for those raised in the church. Harder for us, I think, to sometimes have an appreciation for how the world views us and our values. Because we just always grew up in this stuff. It doesn't make sense. Why would they hate us? Because they have a very different worldview. And the reality is, so did we, even before we met Christ, even if we were raised in the church. We just sometimes have a harder time recognizing that. And they rightly connect us with Jesus. Remember, how did they feel about Jesus? Does he say the world? And the world here is John uses this, including in John 3.16, is of the values that are opposed to God. For God so loved the world, I think we see that. He just kind of loved everybody. When he says the world there, he's saying sinners. People who had an, a view of the world that was opposed to him. Remember that the word that I said you, a servant is not greater than his master. You expect better treatment than me? That would be foolish, given particularly again that he's God. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. This is what you should expect. But if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. You're going to go preach my gospel. There's a lot of people that are going to hate you and persecute you. But there are other people that are actually going to hear it. Just like it happened with me, now it's going to happen with you because you represent me. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Because we're appropriately preaching the name of Jesus. This is why they're getting ticked off. <clears throat> this is a tough one. 
There's all kinds of complicated issues out there in the world right now where the world is holding values that don't flow from our view of God. You following me? But what feels like to me now is evangelicals have gotten a reputation for fighting what I'm going to call secondary issues and making them more important than promoting the love of Jesus. This isn't an either or. Where the culture's going, we want to stand up and love and say this does not reflect Christ. But our primary message is Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Now we're going to keep going in the text. That's going to tick people off. I think Jesus is cool if that ticks people off. I think he's less pleased when they get ticked off by our making secondary issues primary. They're real issues. But our primary role is to help them see the love of Christ. Now, do I want his values to go through our culture? Yes, I do. Do I expect they will? No! Because they don't love Christ. I'm just not surprised when people who don't love Christ live like people who don't love Christ. It doesn't shock me. It doesn't bewilder me. I don't like it. It frustrates me. But when we get our underwear all in a bundle and get angry, we diminish our ability to communicate the love of Christ. And that feels like to me generally speaking, which is always unfair, and I recognize that, how the world right now looks at evangelicals. I'm talking about our American culture. Do we stand for those secondary issues in love? Unashamedly, unabashedly, unreservedly. But we're focusing on Christ and his glory. It's about of his name. That's what's ticking these people off. Jesus revealed their sin. So do we now. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, all the miracles, all the stories, everything he said, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. He's not saying that, A, if I hadn't come, they wouldn't be guilty of their sin at all. Here's what he's saying. I'm God. I came and gave unmistakable demonstration to who I am. He's not saying they weren't guilty before. He's saying now they are guilty from looking at the Almighty God and going, that's what they're guilty of. They were guilty before. But now they have looked the Almighty God in the face and said, I don't want anything to do with you. Get out of here. They were already guilty. Our being hated is a sign of prophecy being fulfilled. How many of you love the idea that we're going to be hated by lots of people because we love Christ? May I see the hands? Jesus wants us to be encouraged here, though. God said it's exactly what's going to happen. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. He means they're a just cause, a reasonable cause. I think almost certainly he's referencing Psalm 69.4. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. A reference to Christ. No good reason. Though we're hated, we're to keep expressing Jesus' love from last week's sermon and this week's sermon, that there might be fruit. The fruit that comes from our lives and our being sanctified, the fruit that comes from people who are right now not trusting Christ, coming to trust him. But when the helper comes, who I will send you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness. He's at dinner preparing them for his crucifixion, resurrection, and glorification, his exodus. This message is left to you guys. Now, the Holy Spirit's work is not exclusively through us, but primarily in this process. So Jesus is saying, though I'm leaving, don't you worry your little heads. 
I'm sending the Holy Spirit, and he's going to fill you. He's going to indwell you. He's already told us that at dinner, and you are going to be empowered by him to go and be my witnesses. Amen? Hallelujah. To a world that its majority is probably going to hate you. But you got the Holy Spirit. You go. Expecting the world to hate us, here's the, the big point, keeps us from falling away. That's why Jesus is revealing this. We got to quit being surprised. When we get surprised, it just fuels this anger and disappointment that's not warranted. And we respond, in my estimation, less like Christ. And expect to get really, really nasty treatment. I've said these things to you to keep you from falling away. I'm telling you this because I don't want you to be surprised and overwhelmed and disappointed and discouraged from whom I am and the mission I'm giving you. Now, I think any smart leader, if we're sending people into some place that's going to be difficult, wants to prepare them. How many of you know the Boundary Waters in Minnesota? You've heard about it? Boundary Waters. As you might guess, it's on the boundary with Canada, northern Minnesota. And I took a couple of trips up there when I was in, in high school. And I still remember the, the first time we went up there. Because it, it's a bunch of lakes and woods with nothing else around. You are camping, camping, camping. We talked about how fun it was going to be, how beautiful it was going to be. And I'm going to tell you, it was spectacular. One of the prettiest places I've been. Remote, back there. One night we saw, if you've heard of the Northern Lights, one night we saw, you want to talk about amazing displays of God's glory. I can still remember this. You know, I'm like 17 years old. Now, before we went, we had a couple of preparatory meetings. One in which they talked about some of you guys, particularly you younger men that are in good shape. You cannot look at me as I look now. This was a long time ago. And they said, you're going to carry, some of you are going to be carrying pretty heavy backpacks, and you're also going to portage, carry a canoe. Now, I still remember, still remember, this is a long time ago, I was probably 17, carrying a big heavy backpack and portaging a canoe over a mile in about 95 degree heat with 90% humidity with mosquitoes so filling the canoe you could barely see the aluminum. This is Minnesota. You'd get up every morning and you essentially showered in mosquito repellent. But we were prepared. They told us what to expect. I wasn't surprised that the canoe was heavy. I wasn't surprised that there were a lot of mosquitoes. It was a fabulous trip. But it was not easy. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell the disciples and us here they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. The most famous guy to hold that view is a guy named Saul, who we refer to now as the Apostle Paul. They're going to put you to death, and they actually will believe they're honoring God in that process. Folks, it doesn't get any more perverse than that. Now, I was talking about this text. We're, we go through the text every week. Our first thing we do in a staff meeting is walk through the text. And I said, so what do you all think Jesus is saying in, in, in this text? And they will do these things because they have not known the Father in me. They really don't know God, though they think they're promoting God. And Sharia goes, well, I think what he's essentially telling the disciples is, buckle up, buttercup. <laughs> and I'm like, there's my sermon title for the week. <laughs> that is Perfect. That's exactly what he's telling them and what he's telling us. In Acts 4, they've been let out of prison and uh, they're being told by the officials, Jewish and, and, and the, and the, and the um, uh, Roman officials, quit preaching Jesus. Here's what they ask for. They don't ask for safety. <laughs> I don't think it's inappropriate for us to ask for that, but I just want you to point out it's not what they asked for. 
They're facing persecution and hardship. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. We need help, Lord. They're threatening some scary things. Through the power of your spirit, don't let us give in to our fear, to our concerns for our own physical well-being. Because you love us. And we got a message that's too important to proclaim to be intimidated by anyone. Even this hatred is a part of God's sovereign plan. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I've said these things to you that when their hour, I love the way Jesus phrases it and John records it, their hour. When Jesus is on the cross, Satan, all his emissaries, the Jewish officials are going, yeah, 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 we won. Not understanding they were actually the means to Jesus being lifted up and ultimately glorified. So their hour, when they're persecuting you and they're going, oh, I took care of those Christians. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm telling you this so you're not surprised. I tell you this so that you know, even when people are making your life miserable because of your faith, you're going, huh, this is part of God's plan. Now, do I want persecution personally? No, I get a hangnail. I go to my doctor and tell him, put me to sleep. I don't want to deal with this. <laughs> I've shared with you before one of the few things I remember from four years of college experience. Two things grow in persecution. Political revolt and Christianity. You know why? Because the only people that stay with us are the people that had a genuine experience of Jesus. If you're just hanging on for the culture and you like the singing, hey, you like the community, you don't hang on if you have to risk your life. Do I pray that that's where our country goes? No. 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 But if it does, we're going to keep promoting the love of Jesus. That's what we're going to do. Because that's what he's called us to do. Though it's not going to be easy, the Holy Spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit came for our benefit. I did not say to you these things from the beginning because I was with you. You really didn't need the Holy Spirit because physically I'm with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me to the Father, and none of you ask me, where are you going? Now, some people go, that's a contradiction of John 14. When Thomas said, you remember, you say you're going away, but we don't know where you're going. Where are you going? What Jesus is saying here, but, but, but you're not asking where you're going. You're not asking where I'm really going. You're asking, so are you going to Bethany? Are you going to Jericho? You're not asking really what's going on spiritually. You still don't get it. You're not asking that question. Because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, he's not making some sort of metaphysical statement that Jesus and the Holy Spirit can't be in the same place. That's not what he's saying. He's saying according to God's plan, here's how it works. Jesus came into the world to do his thing, to go to the cross, to die and rise from the dead. Then after he ascends into heaven, according to God the Father's plan, then the Holy Spirit comes into the world in a new and powerful way. Was the Holy Spirit working in Old Testament times? Yes. But after Jesus' death and resurrection, when the kingdom really gets launched, he comes in a new way for all believers. Now, I showed you this diagram some time ago. Uh, two, three weeks ago, I don't remember. You got creation in the fall, and everybody's a sinner in that fall piece, right? We're still sinners. Well, through the whole thing, we're still sinners. But then you got Jesus, and he comes and does his ministry that lasts about three years. But you remember, Jesus says, you're going to do greater things than me. Because what we talked about is before the cross, how many people are really believing in Jesus? Not even the twelve. Not even the 12. 
because this cross is the central marker in human history. Before that, everybody's in trouble and everybody needs a solution. The solution is promised, it's prophesied, it's, it's told it's going to come, and then it comes in Jesus, the promise where our sins are forgiven, our lives are filled with meaning. We get connected back to God at the cross. After that, the kingdom really gets launched. And that's when the greater things we do, empowered by the Holy Spirit, happens. His holy dwelling comes and he takes up residence in each of our lives and we empowered by the almighty God. Now I tell you, that's the place where we're going and doing greater things. We're experiencing Jesus' love and we're expressing Jesus' love and we're bearing fruit and it makes us happy. Tell me this isn't good, this side of the cross. So if I hear people once in a while say, oh, if I'd only been there to see Jesus walk on water. No, you wouldn't have believed. They didn't get it. So you can say all you want, on this side of the cross, in my estimation, is way better. It's just not going to be easy. So good where our full joy is found. Oh, he loves us, he loves us, he loves us. And we can't keep it to ourselves. We got to give it to others. This truth that we embrace and adore, that he's called us to give away to others. It's just not going to be easy because as we do that, they're actually going to hate us. And Jesus is going to explain it a little more. Convict the world of their sin. And when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning three things. Sin and righteousness and judgment. And then he's going to unpack it, and I'm going to unpack it quickly here. If you have questions about this, come, uh, yeah, talk to Stephen. He'll help you with this. <laughs> and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. He's just said earlier, they have no excuse. They have just now spit directly at the Almighty God. Not saying they weren't sinners before. He's just saying this is it. And this is what you guys get to do after I leave through the power of the Holy Spirit. Help them see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, and nobody else comes to the Father but through me. Because to not treasure in Jesus is the only means of salvation. Is the highest of sins. Verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning righteousness, you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, are going to do that because I'm going to be in heaven. That's all he's saying there. You're going to convict them their view of righteousness. You're going to tell them their view of righteousness is wrong. You have to convey to them that what they think is right in the world is wrong. Now, i got a nephew. I love and adore the young man. A fifth grader in their school, young gal said to a school counselor, I feel like a boy. The counselor uh, started talking with this child about transitioning in fifth grade. And based upon their policies there, did not tell the mother. So proud of my nephew and his wife. They wrote a letter. He sent me a copy, beautifully written. The logic in it is perfect. To the superintendent of a school board, he stood up at the school board meeting and he, he read me the script that he prepared. It was beautiful. We stand and we stand in love. I would argue, based upon the way God created the role of the family to be the primary influence in a kid's life. And now you got at least one school system trying to protect the kid's privacy from kindergarten through 12th grade. Why? Because they think those of us who don't believe this is a healthy path are unhealthy people. They believe we have an unrighteous view. And here's the challenge. To stand for the truth, to stand on these secondary issues, while primarily promoting Jesus' love. 
but we got to tell them their view of righteousness is wrong. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged, we got to help them understand their judgment of what righteousness is and what sin is is incorrect. They've made the wrong judgment. Now it's rooted in the ruler of this world who's going to be judged. And when Jesus died, absolutely his rear end was kicked. Now this is not easy. But we have to help people. There are two pieces to the gospel. If we simplify it to its basic core level. We got a big problem. And Jesus is a solution. People who don't think they're sinners, who believe they're righteous, and trust their own judgment, don't like being told they're wrong. But they are. And it's the only way that they're ever going to come to see the solution is our helping them see their problem. Now, my experience is that's much easier with people that know us well with whom we've developed some credibility in a relationship with. Now, wherever God gives me the opportunity, I shared with you two weeks about, about a Latter-day Saint that got matched with me in a golf cart for four hours. He's going to hear a little bit of it. I take every opportunity that God gives me to help him to tell somebody, your worldview is wrong. I do it as tactfully as I can, but also trying to make it clear. How many of you love being told you're wrong about any of your views? May I see your hands? Any of you? I tell you, I love the people that help me see things I don't see. I can't tell you that my initial response is always to be thrilled. (laughs) The people who help me see what I don't see, they're my best friends. That's not the way that most of the world lives. And it's what we're facing. But without helping people understand this, They'll never get the truth of who Jesus is. Some people, as the text said earlier, they're going to get it, and they're going to go, thank you for sharing what a sinner I am and how bad my judgment was, and that I was really not nearly as righteous. Oh, thank you, because I come to Jesus. How are most people going to respond? I think you see it in Scripture. Let me tell you from my experience, they're not going to be thrilled. The majority of people with whom I share this truth are not thrilled and don't come to Jesus. Am I surprised? No. Am I discouraged? Disappointed in the moment? Does it sway me from continuing to promote the love of Jesus? Not in a bit. Jesus told me this is exactly how it's going to happen. He told me this is the way it's going to work. When you do this and the people that get it and they come to faith, come on! Oh, when they see this fruit, come on! Now, I believe our even sharing it with people who don't accept it, that's a part of the fruit. So, point us to Jesus and reveal the truth of who he is. I still have many things to say to you, but you knuckleheads aren't even keeping up with what I've told you thus far. But you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. At least three times in John thus far, John the author has said, and we didn't get this until later. (laughs) Power of the Holy Spirit. He will glorify me. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's his role, to point people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit, we want to know what the scriptures say about him. He doesn't want that much attention. The Holy Spirit wants the attention to go to Jesus. That's his role. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Ha! 
Holy Spirit's going to come, empower us, point us to Jesus, and enable and empower us to point other people to Jesus. Tell me this isn't a great life. Tell me this isn't the best way to live. Is it going to be easy? Here's part of the way God's created the world. Nothing of value, meaning, and significance has ever been easy that I've found. Nothing. Everything of consequence takes some effort. So here's the takeaways. Walk through them quickly. Nothing better than experiencing and expressing Jesus' love. If that's not the foundation of our life, none of the rest of this makes sense. And if that's not the foundation of your life, you really don't need to listen to the others of these. If when we sing a song like that, oh, how he loves me. There's not some tingling in your heart. Lord, help me to get this. We expect it not to be easy. We've talked about that enough, and yet we live lovingly wherever we are. I don't care what we are. I don't care what the issue is that we're standing in Jesus' love for. We stand lovingly. Anybody confused? Am I not clear? We keep the primary issues primary and the secondary issues secondary. And we live boldly, trying to meet people where they are, not trying to be offensive, but there's nothing better. They're sinners with a bad sense of righteousness and bad judgment, and yet we're intimidated by them. I'll just tell you, that doesn't make sense to me. We're sensitive and we're lowing, loving. We have some sense of where they're coming from so we can meet them where they are, but why would we be intimidated by people who have an unhealthy worldview? Mm. I'll just tell you, it doesn't make that much sense to me. We use our watch pray list, our 938 alarm. We got these people identified. You got those with that one, maybe more that you got identified, and uh, we're interacting with them. We're hanging with those. None of the friends I hang with that don't love Christ share my worldview on many things. Transitioning, abortion, homosexuality, sex outside of marriage. Almost none of them hold my worldview. Am I surprised? I think that would be foolish. Do they have to hold my worldview to be my friend? They do not. Heck, I got nobody, including my wife, that holds my worldview completely. (laughs) Nobody. They're my friends because I like them, because I enjoy their company. They're not projects. Do I hope that Jesus leaks out of me? And am I ready to have the conversation go to him whenever I have an opportunity? Yeah. Do I get nervous about it? Nope. Do I worry about it? Nope. But do I count this a privilege? This is it. We're going to celebrate communion. Because what these symbols represent is the foundation of it all. I love the way Keith put it last week. We experience Jesus' love, but abiding in him is we keep experiencing it. Think back to that time when you first really figured out Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, but you went, oh, he loves me. My experience and God intent is that once we have that experience, that experience just keeps growing as we abide in him in the first way Keith talked about it, not the second. And it just comes out. Don't have to be a member here. Don't have to have everything perfectly figured out. Your life doesn't have to be perfect to participate in this table. We just have one requirement that we think comes from Jesus. 
We've said, Jesus, I'm not going to trust me. I'm going to trust you and I'm going to follow you. Because you love me. So we're going to sing here. Come on up here, take the elements. I'm going to ask you to take them back to your chair and then we will participate together. You guys at home, get a marshmallow, get an M&M, get some grape juice, orange juice, whatever you need. The objects themselves are not so important. But remembering his death is. Come uh, and grab the elements. starts with our experience of his love and he's put us in this world to be the instruments of his grace and love it's a broken world we're talking about the truth of Jesus love which is rooted in our having messed up it's not a message people want to hear We're not going to be surprised when they reject it. We're not even going to be surprised when in expressing Jesus' love, they hate us. We're not going to be surprised. He loves us. He went to the cross to die for us. He went to the cross and Satan was defeated. He thought he won. We eat this in remembrance of Jesus. Because of our faith in him, we are more than conquerors in every situation in life. He loves us. And nothing will ever separate us from his love. Nothing. This world in America, do I see it getting easier? 
I don't. I don't. Please hear me. I hope I'm wrong. I pray for God to move. I don't know exactly what he's going to do. But our lives have been transformed. And we are saturated in his love. And he's called us to promote his love. So we're going to stand for him on every issue. On every issue. But the primary one is that the gospel and his love is manifest and his death goes forward. That is primary. We drink this in remembrance of the Jesus who loves us. Let's all stand together. today. Thank you, Jesus. Death could not 